Content warning. The Tiger and the Dragon is a 19th century horror pastiche audio drama. It will contain references to colonialism, crime, firearms, the occult, and period-typical racism, misogyny, and disabledism. It will not contain any themes of sexual assault, but will contain violence, including mentions of violence against women and unborn children. Please do check the more detailed content warnings in the show notes, and look after yourselves and each other. The Tiger and the Dragon Episode 5. A Matter of Some Urgency Dearest Jack, I hope you're in good health and that all is well in the hospital. Here is my latest epistle, with what I hope will be exciting news. Now that all the wedding fuss is over and everything has settled down, I feel it's time to write to you again. Thank you ever so much for the gifts, and thank you for not informing your father about the Colonel's less than ideal past. I believe he was left with the impression my husband is a military man newly returned from service in India, and that will do nicely. I must confess, after all the recent hullabaloo, it has seemed unusually quiet at home. I have been longing for a bit of excitement. I feel the season has been somewhat dull lately and quite subdued, and without a good scandal to talk about. Some young lady or other should do us the courtesy of running off with someone unsuitable. I cannot do all the running off with someone unsuitable. The youth need to step up their game. Perhaps I'm getting older and enjoy the parties less, I thought. Of course, thinking back on the exciting events of the past, both mine and yours, My mind turned to Dr. Van Helsing. I wondered if he was still in London. The matter involving Mr. Alucard and my husband, of which I wrote to you, seemed to indicate he was involved with the government. I suggested that we might renew the efforts to locate him to my husband, and Sebastian agreed. Once I had mentioned it, the Colonel's eyes lit up, and he suggested that we begin a search for the good doctor. I'm not sure if he's also bored and looking for a challenge, or simply wished to please me. I informed him that you had already tried to ascertain the doctor's whereabouts without success. He said that you had probably only tried the usual channels and it would be a damn clever cove who could hide from the people he knew in London. He said that he would put the word out, as there were a few who owed him favours. I did not ask who the few were as they are undoubtedly some criminal elements with whom no civilised citizen is acquainted nor indeed cares to be. I heard nothing more of it until a week later when a scruffy young urchin appeared at the door with a message for Tiger Jack and informed us that he'd seen a red-eyed devil wee, a funny voice a-coming and a-going from a warehouse in Woolwich, and sometimes a great black dog as well. 
along with a fellow matching the doctor's description who appeared at the window, information which he provided on further questioning. The colonel gave him a shilling and sent him on his way after obtaining directions to said warehouse. I hope you will not be excessively upset about my putting myself in danger once again, but I propose we should investigate as soon as possible, and the colonel agreed. He, at least, considers me a worthy companion in a scrape. We thought it best to investigate in the daylight when Mr Alucard would be at his weakest. We went directly to the warehouse, and we were forced to break the door in. Much to the surprise of Dr Van Helsing, who was within, along with a dark squat chest, which I guessed instantly was the vile fiend's resting place. I am fully prepared to shoot you, whoever you are. What a coincidence. Oh, my friend, I am afraid you have bitten off more than you can chew here. Should he awake? Stop this nonsense at once, Dr. Van Helsing. I am Anna Moran, Dr. Seward's aunt. We've we've come to help you. Oh, Khatank. God be thanked. I recognize your voice and your face and your name. If you are John's aunt, I am glad to have come, but I believe you know the danger you are in. Both me and my husband are well aware of the danger, Dr. Van Helsing, yes. Come in, come in, but keep your voices down. He sleeps, but I do not know if he hears. Dead to the world, if you forgive the pun. You have eyes to come at midday. How did you come to be here, Doctor? We are in hiding, at the pleasure of His Majesty's government. We have been in service to the Crown since before you and I met at the ball, Miss Sewer... Mrs? Moran. And this is my husband, Colonel Moran. That name is very familiar. Don't think too hard on it. Suffice to say, I'm also well acquainted with our friend in the box, and have served the Crown with him as well in Afghanistan. Ah, then you are the Tiger. Aye, the very same. I got the briefing we were provided with, and heard a little of you from our friend in the box. I am his... How would you call it? His handler. His agent. We have all been in service to that branch of the intelligence services which deals with the supernatural creatures and all matters pertaining to them. How fascinating! What is the agency called? I would love to know more. If only I could tell you, dear lady, but I'm forbidden both by the circumstance and the official secrets. That's most irritating. He's right, my love. We have a mission. These people, you see, as soon as they were aware of our friend's arrival on these shores, they sought me out for information. If only they had done so sooner, they were too late to help poor Miss Lucy or any of his earlier victims. I've always been afraid that his destruction might not be permanent. The old legends say blood might bring him back, so I gathered up his mortal remains, the dust of his passing and I began my research in how I might use it to control him. The government men offered to find me such reagents and texts as I needed to help with this. If I was successful, in return I would let them have use of my servant for their purposes. In certain tasks they needed completing. And you were successful? What the hell would you do that for? <sighs> I will answer both of you in turn. Colonel Moran, because if he was to be resurrected, I wanted to be the one to do it on my terms, instead of one of his gypsy servants bringing him back to bide his time until he could do his dark work again. Mrs. Moran? Yes. I raised him, and I bound him to my will. 
but I do not think I was as successful as I thought. I believe he is biding his time, manipulating me, planning for when he may find some way to free himself and enact his evil. He cannot harm me, and he must protect me, but he can cause me to be harmed in other ways. All was going well until late last year, when we were moved to this hideout without any explanation and told to await further orders. Then we have heard nothing more since. I do not think our government allies will ever return. And our friend in the box has been growing in power, wandering the streets of the East End at night and feeding on the innocent and stealing food for me. He calls me his master these days in a mocking sort of way. Back up, old man. Annecy Ball? Sebastian, really? Oh, actually, I would love one. Thank you. We will absolutely do everything in our power to bring you out of this predicament, Doctor. Absolutely. One way or another. I wish I'd known you'd been starving here. I'd have brought you a decent meal and some fresh blankets. Thank you, both of you. Now, go, and you must not return unless it is absolutely necessary. Every moment you remain here, you are at risk. As we left, the doctor seemed to brighten out of the melancholy humour, which had been clearly affecting him as much as malnutrition and lack of sleep. On the way home, the colonel kindly gave the remains of his sweets to a passing urchin. I have been racking my brains ever since, and my husband has been making plans of his own. Battle plans, he calls them. But confides he can think of no sufficient force short of his majesty's entire cavalry to release the good doctor. Nevertheless, I refuse to break my promise. I remain, as ever, your loving aunt, Mrs. Anna Moran. Dearest Aunt Anna, I read your last letter in surprise and bewilderment. This is wondrous news. I'm even prepared to relax some of my attitudes towards your husband on hearing that he was able to locate our friend. I was eager to ask you Dr. Van Helsing's location, but then thought better of it, given his request that you not return to visit him, and considering another piece of news which I feel may be relevant. A little street urchin was brought into the hospital yesterday, drained of all blood with two bite marks at his throat, and in his pocket, a half-eaten paper bag of aniseed balls. Your husband is certainly a cunning one. And ruthless to boot. I wish you all the best of luck in keeping your promise, and should you require the help of a physician, or simply another pair of hands or eyes, please send a telegram or messenger, and I shall be there at once. I have quite given up trying to discourage you from these adventures of yours. If father could not do it, I doubt I can, for I have not his force of character. And besides that, you are clearly incapable, if concerning, hands. Hoping your luck continues to hold out, Dr. John Seward. Bit of a sticky wicket, stop. Need to know how to kill a vampire, stop. Not a joke, I promise, stop. Weather continues fine, stop. Warren. My dear old comrade, what an interesting conundrum you have presented. One which must be very pressing to require you to contact me at all. Hypothetically, if such creatures existed, they would necessarily be very difficult to destroy permanently. 
All the information available, by which I mean folklore, legend, and the occasional extremely suspect memoir, seems to indicate that they can be destroyed innumerable ways, only to pop up again later, just as troublesome as before. My faculties are great, but I fancy myself not so arrogant as to assume I know everything, particularly when it comes to things of a supernatural or indeed infernal nature. I will therefore refer you to someone of my acquaintance with a great deal more experience in this area. I shall contrive to have it suggested to him by mutual friends that a tour of England might be valuable at this time. The weather remains cloudy with a slight chance of thunder. Yours, J.M. Dearest Jack, I hope you're well and your patients at the hospital are all getting better. Responding to your letter of the 26 with further developments regarding our Dutch friend, we believe we have hit upon a possible solution. Perhaps you'll remember my mention of the seances my friends insisted on dragging me along to. I thought perhaps since our problem was a supernatural one, I should seek amongst those conversant in supernatural matters for an answer. I sent an epistle to Dr Westcott, explaining the situation and asking for his aid. He informed me that he was very busy at the moment, something about trouble amongst his fellow magical practitioners regarding the legitimacy of certain rites. But it just so happened that there was a practised occultist of his acquaintance who happened to be visiting the country from New Orleans. One well versed in dealing with monstrous beings by the name of Louis-Pierre Léon Lafleur, who he was sure would be willing, perhaps even eager to help us. I sent a letter to Monsieur Léon's Lafleur immediately, as well as one thanking Dr Westcott for his aid, and indeed received a very enthusiastic response. Monsieur Léon's Lafleur was apparently finding the lecture tour on which he was engaged quite tedious, and sensing the urgency of my letter, asked that we visit him immediately. We did so last Wednesday. He was housed in rather embarrassingly pokey rooms in Bankside. I really feel whoever was hosting him on this lecture tour could have done better. Every available surface in the apartment seemed to have piled on it a great many books and papers and objects of mystical significance. I do not know whether he brought them back with him from America, but if he did, I expect he will have required an entire package steamer just for his luggage. Monsieur Leon's Laforet himself was a man apparently advanced in years, though still slim, dark, Saturn, with the youthfulness and energy that men involved with the occult so often seem to possess. We exchanged the usual niceties. He told us of Madame Leon Lafleuret and his little daughter, Babette Cecile, back in New Orleans. But it seemed he was in a great hurry to get back to the matter in hand, and so he did. He produced books describing the Nosferatu, or vampire, a subject which he seemed to assume we were all familiar, and then went on to tell us all sorts of quite wild and unbelievable tales. Though perhaps I should be more open-minded, considering all that I have heard of and indeed seen. He spoke of sleeping creatures with names that I will not even try to pronounce, let alone spell, and how they were imprisoned on our earth by ancient deities long forgotten. The sort of horrors that would make a disruption-free church pastor full of fire and brimstone quiver in his hobnail boots. Monsieur Leon Lafleuret told us he knew of a sigil. A sigil given to humanity as a sign of protection from these gods. It was with this sigil the awful horrors he described were kept locked away. A sigil of such power, he hoped, 
when accompanied by the appropriate incantations and such like, will be sufficient to render our friend Mr. Alucard permanently powerless. He showed us this sigil, informing us that it was thought to trace the path of Venus through the night sky over the course of time, at which point I must say I had to suppress a laugh. I saw the colonel's mouth twitch in hidden amusement. The sigil seemed to be nothing more than a simple five-pointed star, such that children will chalk on a blackboard when they are drawing the night sky, but then is not the cross which so many people draw over themselves as protection from evil a simple sign with greater connotations? Who can say what certain idle scribblings may truly represent, and what power they have when used in the appropriate rites? That aside, we have determined to act as soon as possible. Monsieur Lyons Lafleuret has drawn up the appropriate names of power in a strange script he refers to as Enochian. We shall go to Dr. Van Helsing's warehouse, or safe house, or perhaps prison, and perform the rites while the fiend sleeps in his coffin, and thusly bind his evil power. Hopefully, Dr. Van Helsing will be willing. I am asking you to join us, dear Jack. If you can get time off from your medical duties, I am sure you will be eager and the danger is of no consequence to you. I believe it is unfair that I have left you out of all of this so far, especially concerning how dear Dr. Van Helsing is to you, and how great your desire for vengeance against Mr. Alucard must be. We will be having a meeting to plan the endeavour on the 8th. I will have a butler put out your favourite tea cakes in anticipation. Yours in earnest hope and prayers that my luck continues to hold. Your loving and trepidatious aunt, Mrs. Anna Moran. P.S. I asked the colonel about the aniseed balls, but he merely smiled through his whiskers and avoided the subject in a most vexing manner. Dearest Aunt Anna, wild horses and cholera outbreaks could not keep me away from this. I've telegraphed Arthur, but he is unable to come to London in time, and wishes us the best of luck. I shall see you and the Colonel on the 8th. Yours in great anticipation, Dr. John Seward. Commencing Operation Leash the Dragon, stop. If no further communication to see him unsuccessful, stop. Weather continues fine, stop. Warren. Dearest Elspeth, a quick note to say that I might be away for a while, but don't worry about me. Sebastian and I will be on an extended trip, a, a sort of belated honeymoon. Anna. Dearest Anna, as you didn't leave a forwarding address, I've had to send this to your brother. I hope you shall receive it when you return. We are all missing you terribly in London, and I hope you'll be back soon. Please do send me a letter as soon as you're able. Your friend, Elspeth. This letter is from Anna's friend, and is the last among the papers. Very little further is known of Colonel or Mrs. Morden, but Sherlock Holmes implies in his own writing that the Colonel is still alive in 1914. The parish record of their marriage seems to have been lost. I have looked for it. However, I can volunteer the following information, as it came from my grandfather, who was born in 1905. I would like to say they lived happily ever after. I'm afraid that seems very unlikely. At some point, following the birth of my grandfather, the whole family seems to have fled to Ireland. As you may remember, Mrs. Morden was of an advanced age to be safely having children, especially in the early days of modern medicine. There is a death certificate that indicates she did not survive the birth of her second child. The Morden's choice of name for my grandfather, James, seems a little distasteful, if I am correct after whom they named him, but understandable. 
After the death of Mrs. Morden, he was brought up mostly by nurses and governesses, as far as my father could gather, and, as a result, was a rather distant man, and equally distant to his children, my father Sebastian, and my two aunts Gertrude and Eugenie. My great-grandfather never spoke to his son about this or any of his exploits, which is a great pity. He apparently moved the family to Ireland and went into a quiet retirement. I have not been able to find any further evidence of Colonel Morden. I wonder if his past caught up with him in some way. Nothing further is known of Dr. Van Helsing, or even whether their attempt at leashing Mr. Alucard was successful, but I assume it must have been, as we're not all vampires now, are we? It has become a tradition for the oldest son of our family to become a doctor. Apparently, my grandfather was particularly fond of his cousin Jack and decided to emulate him. But then I hear that sort of thing happens a lot in medical families. My maternal aunt Sarah is a nurse and my sister is a surgeon. My nephew, unfortunately, wishes to join the army. DM The Tiger and the Dragon was a Sidegram Hair production by Lou Sutcliffe. Distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License. It featured Jennifer Noirot as Anna Warren, Lou Sutcliffe as Sebastian Warren, Neil Aino O'Donnell as David Warren, and J.M. Jonathan Kedger as John Seward, Bethan Cloyd Wiggins as Elspeth, and Flores Swiftly Vordevake as Abraham Van Helsing. Editing, soundscaping, and score was by Lou Sutcliffe with additional mastering editing by Jem Hawes. This episode used sounds from freesound.org. For full accreditation, content warnings and transcripts, please see the show notes. If you enjoyed this little pastiche, please do leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice, in the Times of London, or behind a brick in a cellar deep beneath Deptford. Thank you for listening, and may you have a delightful day and an untroubled night.